Hey everybody, so today sitting down with my friend Dirk, and uh, he is a he's a multimedia mogul, is what he is. He likes fast cars, he likes pretty watches and cigars, and we're gonna sit down and we're gonna chat about it. Dirk, nice to have you here. Good to be here. Yeah. So what are you up to nowadays? What's what's going on in your world? Literally just trying to split my time between many, many different things. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the media business is still the primary company that I'm focusing on, um, but we've got some some really exciting things in the works as well. Yeah. Side. Yeah. Okay. What's going on with the cars? You've been like, I've been watching you race them, <laughs> get them. I mean, everybody likes cars. I think it's a very specific type of sickness yeah. or disease. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just I've I've always had an an incredible passion for cars as as far as I can remember, uh, and I think most sort of young boys grow up with the Lamborghini poster on the wall, and you know that's something that they one day wish they might be able to to buy. Uh, and and my story is is uh, is pretty similar. I always really liked cars. I grew up in a family that enjoyed motorsport, and you know every Sunday we were watching the Formula One. Um, South Africa had one Formula One race, and my dad actually took me to that race, and I was pretty much hooked on motorsport from, in today's terms, it would be grade two, um, and it's it sort of just all started from there. Uh, I remember working in a in a pizzeria. I was uh, 15 years old, pretty much running the shop. And a guy came in who had a brand new uh, GT2, which would now, in our terms now, but it was a 996 back then. I obviously didn't know exactly what it was, but it was the, the latest, fastest, best Porsche that had just come out. Uh, and he came in and he placed his order for two Reginas like he does every, every Friday night. And I had a look at the car and I was like, wow, a car looks really nice. And we started talking a bit about the Formula One. And he said to me, do you want to go for a quick drive? And I looked over at my my boss and he's like, yeah, just go. Um, he took me up the road and it, it's something that I'll, I'll never forget. And it's something that I have never experienced in my life before. Just that amount of horsepower and just that the, the visceral experience of being in a car like that it was uh, it was life-changing uh -huh. uh, from there I basically made the decision that you know one day I will I need to yeah like, like I need air water I need to have a car like that or similar to that or whatever it is and uh yeah I've been I've been very fortunate that it's it's worked out that way so is Porsche your car of choice right now is that your it's like asking which of your kids are your, is, is the favorite. favorite. Yeah, <laughs> um, I think there are there are many different things about very, very different cars. I think Porsche, in terms of a driver's car, uh, is hands down the best. Um, they've got the biggest racing heritage out of all the brands. It's it's certainly the most drivable car. Um, you know, we do a lot of track day things, and it's certainly by far the most capable car for that sort of work to really beat on it on the you know two days at, at virginia international raceway which is just oh, one of the you know most spectacular tracks in the country uh to be able to go there beating the car for two days and you can literally just drive it back home yeah on, on the sunday and you you know very seldom anything goes wrong uh whereas if you ask a you know a ferrari or a lamborghini or especially a mclaren to do that sort of work um it, it won't make it yeah with so when i see you at the track days are you part of a, a local group 
of car enthusiasts, I guess I would say. Yeah, we're, we're probably not a, uh, we're just a group of guys that hang out from all, from all different walks of life. I think it's, it's such a special thing that, um, you know, there are accountants and lawyers and guys that have their own businesses in IT and guys in finance and guys in, in commercial real estate. Um, you know, our common bond is is the car thing. Uh, and that's basically how our group sort of started hanging out and, and, and getting together. And, uh, you know, some of the guys in the group are professional race car drivers that, you know, have daytime jobs. Um, and the rest are just, you know, like me, we try to be heroes every every couple of weekends by seeing how quickly we can get around the track. Yeah. Do your kids like the cars? Oh, it's uh, I, th- I think I'm, I'm creating my own drama for later in life. Um, they you know, I, I knew about cars when I was when I was young, but not the way the kids these days do. And I think a lot of it is the the YouTube videos and things that they watch. There's so much car content out there that these people create for kids. Um, you know, they'll they'll literally walk up and be like, "Hey, that's a Lamborghini Aventador." This and and it's 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 crazy. Like I didn't know that sort of in depth detail the way they do now. So yeah, they are very very much into it. Yeah, I, it's YouTube. Because that's how my uh, my nephew is. Remember, like a year ago, we I wanted to bring him over and look at the cars and stuff like that, but the weather wouldn't cooperate. Yeah. But he knows everything. He knows all the numbers, what it is, who makes it. He can look at the front end, know what year it was. Yeah. What, I, it's amazing. It, it's mind-boggling. Like my, my four-year-old will literally walk, you know, a friend of mine will get a new car and then I'll say, hey, you know, Uncle Scott's coming over. Do you want to see his car? And he like rolls up and he's like... Oh, he got the Cephas Blue SVJ. That that's pretty nice. It's like, how do you know that? You, <laughs> you shouldn't know that. Your brain shouldn't have all this information at this age. It's not necessary at all. Oh, this is the power of YouTube. It's the YouTube generation. That's crazy. With so, that's that's great. But you've been here um, in the U.S. for since 2018. Uh, yeah, September will be year three. Okay, how do you like it? It's amazing. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. And, you know, I, it's, it's funny you mentioned the the U.S. thing. Um, we were over at a friend's house on Friday and there was someone over that, uh, you know, that you, it's the 4th of July weekend. So obviously people are feeling a little bit more patriotic than normal. And there was one guy at the table who was like, oh, America is, is not the greatest country in the world. And then I got vehemently offended by it huh. um, because – if I compare it to the conditions, what they were back in South Africa before we left, um, I, I just don't think people know exactly how good they have it here. Uh, and the majority of those people are people that haven't traveled. Uh, they haven't seen what life is like for the majority of the rest of the world. You know, it's we, we live a very fortunate, really good life here. Uh, and, and the people in North Carolina, Charlotte specifically, like everyone is so friendly and welcoming. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's we're super happy here. Yeah. Was he, was he taken aback a little bit that... You kind of challenged him on it, or yeah, yeah, he, yeah. he was. Uh, he, he got a bit of a fright, and um, you know, I just I, I said to him, "Based on what? How can how can you possibly say that?" Yeah. Uh, and it's like, oh, well, but we, it's you know, he, he rattled off a couple of uh, of talking points that you'll see in the media, and I said, to him, "But you had running water this morning when you opened your tap." It's like, mm-hmm. yes, obviously. It's like you had electricity. It's like, yes, my parents at home right now, four days no running water no electricity for three or four days at a time on a regular basis like that is how they live not even to mention the the, the rate of violent crime that that happens in not just there in many places around mm-hmm. the world um it's it's incomparable and then for someone to say it's you know it, it, apart from obviously the the opportunity you have here to make a good living for yourself doing you know things that you love uh, whereas most other places in the world you don't have that amount of potential clients that you can actually 
carve out your own path and do something spectacular with your life. Yeah. I, mean, I remember we were talking a couple of years ago when you guys were thinking about um, purchasing a house. And that was one of the biggest things is you wanted space for the kids to be able to go outside and play and near parks and things like that because you didn't have that where you were growing up, you know, and you were talking about just the violence there. And when you come here, you're able to kind of breathe a little bit and, and let them go out and play. And, and that's a big deal. It's, it's everything. It's everything. You know, all the, the material things are great and, you know, you know, living in a nice house and, and having all the cars and all the rest. But at the end of the day, I think we all just want the same thing. We want our family to be healthy. We want our family to be happy. And we want, you want to be safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that above everything else is, is something we experience here on a daily basis. You know, it's, it's gotten to a point where my wife doesn't lock a car, um, leaves it outside and doesn't lock a car in, in South Africa. <laughs> it, it, you wouldn't even, you can't even comprehend, you know, the, the kind of, I wouldn't even call it a lack of security, but if you compare it to to that, there's not every single person has a, a wall around their house with electric fencing and metal spikes and, and all the rest. And that was literally just to try and keep people out. Um, our kids couldn't even play in their own backyard at our house because it was too dangerous. It was the, the risk of someone jumping over the wall was just too high. And I mean, stuff like that happened all the time. Man, man. You, you Now, how many years in South Africa, is that where you grew up? Is that where you spent all your time until moving here? Born and bred, yeah. yeah. Yeah, born and bred. Man, do you go back there quite a bit? Um, I used to. Uh, the The whole COVID thing has yeah. uh, has just uh, been very uh, unfortunate for so many reasons. But the, in, in terms of travel, when the when the outbreak in South Africa initially hit, the South African border was closed for the majority of last year, um, and then the South African border opened around November December ish, mm-hmm. and then as as soon as uh, the Biden got into office they shut off travel from South Africa because the South African strain was the, you know, the, the more dangerous strain. Yep. Uh, and that is still ongoing right now. So last year, South Africa's border was closed. This year, America's border is closed. So it, um, even if I travel back to South Africa now, I wouldn't be able to get back here. Uh, uh, and okay. the worst thing out of all of it is my parents were meant to come and visit for two months last year, couldn't make it. And now this year, it seems like we're heading down the same uh, the same road. So, you know, we'll see them yeah. when, when, uh, when, when this blows over eventually. Now, do your, are your wife's family over there too? They came to visit. So her brother lives in California. Okay. So they came to visit, uh, I think it was February of last year. Um, it was meant to be a three-week holiday. They got their COVID hit, South Africa border closed. So they ended up staying in California for a year because they just couldn't go back home. And even if they went back home, everything was was closed. I think we had like the light version of a lockdown, you know, countries like uh, Australia and, and many other places around the world. It's literally grocery stores and pharmacies. That's what's open. Everything yeah. else is closed down. If you leave your home outside of a time that you can leave your home, you get arrested. And and, and that's happened in so many countries. So they just literally spent the whole year in California. Yeah. Um, they've, they've since gone back now. Okay. Was everything still there when they went back? <laughs> Can you imagine leaving for a year? Like you, you go on vacation, and then all of a sudden you're like, "Well, I can't get back for a year." It, it's it's crazy. Luckily, they've got the type of business where they just had to be online and they could uh, they, they could, could figure things it. out. But it's uh, uh, it, it's been a learning curve for I think a lot of people and a lot of companies had to really pivot to see how you know how flexible they can actually be to to execute. That is so crazy. So living over there, growing up. Um, what got you into, what did you do before the, the media company? 
And what what kind of got you there? It, it all really happened by accident. Um, I started working uh, at yeah, a very very. I remember it very well. I was I was in a in a store with my mom. We were doing some clothes shopping. I think I was twelve or thirteen years old, uh, and you know, got some got some pants, got some shirts, and then we walked past a cabinet. and I, I remember seeing it. Uh, it's called an, an Oakley Juliet. Mm-hmm. Was a specific pair of sunglasses, and I, and I looked and I was like, "I need that." And she's like, yeah. "Nope. <laughs> if you want that, you better get a job." Um, and uh, Started working in the pizza shop from uh, from when I was like 13 years old, all the way until I finished school, uh, and then I was actually cold calling. Uh, my dad has a company that makes uh, wooden pens and wall clocks and paper grinders and things of that nature. Uh, he just really enjoys working with his hands and making stuff. So I was trying to sell it to some corporates, and I was cold calling. Uh, the plan was to still study that year. I got to um, to a company called Trade Edge. Met with the the owner of the business and basically tried to sell him, uh, you know, a set of corporate gifts. Uh, and after my sales pitch, he he stopped and was like, uh, "Resume, yeah. like, what? Resume? Do you have one?" I was like, "Well, I'm pretty much in school and I'm I'm studying next year." It's like, "No, you're coming to work for me next year." I was like, "Well, all right, well, that that sort of works out." Um, and I worked there for probably three or four years, uh, and that's you know it was a media company. They sold business to business publications that went into the mining sector, into uh, the transport sector, all sorts of different things. And that's where I got my first taste of media. Um, and from there, just you know, worked from one media company to the next. Went to work for what was at that time the biggest media company in South Africa, and following that, went to work for a guy that uh, I saw as a friend. Uh, he published a bunch of fitness magazines and much smaller operation, obviously, but there was room for growth mm-hmm. uh, w- within that company. And I was there for uh, probably about four years. And he uh, uh, he ended up messing around with the girl that I was living with at the time, the owner of that business. So I just like threw my toys out of the cot and I was like, well, I'm going to start my own thing, mm-hmm. you know, thinking that it'll be simple and easy because I've now been working at a, at a, at a media house that publishes two titles and it's a small team of like four or five people. It's very doable. Um, I was in for a very, very rough surprise. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, so many people can look from the outside at other people's businesses and go, I can do that. It's easy. Yeah. Uh, it's not. <laughs> it never is. Um, but that that was the push I needed to to basically start my own thing. Um, and uh, you know, blessing in disguise, obviously. Yeah. Uh, you know, started my own thing. I got a license for a magazine called Fighters Only uh, for the South African region. We started publishing that. Uh, just had the one title for the first two to three years, um, and it got to a point where. The sport, mixed martial arts, was just growing so much at that at that point in time that every um, every company from you know uh, the fashion industry and car makers and everyone wanted to get a piece of the pie because this was going to be the next big thing. That lasted about two and a half, three years. Uh, lost a ton of money in the end uh, on that magazine, and then had to just pivot and start doing other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's been a couple of years later. Now we we're publishing. 50 odd titles in four different countries um so it's it seemed like it's worked out yeah pretty good <laughs> now how long what year do you remember what year you started uh 2007 2007 yeah so not bad for 14 years 
uh, yeah, it's 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 uh, the the first ten years were yeah. were rough. Okay, it was. Uh, I think I'm only now starting to figure out how you know how how this whole thing works. It's yep. uh, and I think that's it's such a big thing these days that no one has the patience. Yeah, um, it's and that's all it is. Like as much as you can be a, a an expert in your field or you know a subject matter expert, it just takes time. Yeah. For for any for any company to grow or see you know big growth, it, it's it's a lot of patience and it's a lot of hard work and it's you know making the right moves at the right time. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's certainly working now. Yeah, in risk, lots oh, of risk. Yeah, yeah. So it's absolutely. funny, you, you know, you you're talking about how long it took and it was ten years and you're like ten years, and then I kind of finally figured it out and then this is where it's going. But everybody wants to go into it, myself included, wanting to know everything. Like, oh, I got to know everything before I start this business because I don't want to mess it up and fail. Yeah. And really, you just have to start. Uh, abso- have to start. Absolutely. And and kind of keep it going and, yeah. and move it along, move it along. And now throughout that 10 years, you were talking about, you know, that you, there were times that you were kind of on the brink of being bankrupt. And, yes. And shutting it down. And how did you kind of maneuver through those times by having very understanding clients yeah. and, and suppliers um it was it was a two-part thing we had some really good clients and then we had some big clients that were really bad payers and i've, I've literally seen businesses close their doors because they can't effectively manage cash flow and and very few people actually think of that they just go these are my expenses this is my income on the books i'm making good money but if you have a late payer that pays you on 90 or 120 or 180 days you start falling behind with many many different things to a point where a printer will tell you unless you make an upfront payment right now because you are now in arrears we're not printing your next magazine so and that's you know that's true for many different businesses it's uh, you know the cash flow is is just it is so important how Uh, do you manage people like that in our business, it's exceptionally difficult uh, because if you do a monthly magazine, for example, you know you are going to bill that client. Let's call it, you know, one like a thousand dollars a month. So he gets billed a thousand dollars a month, and he pays you. If you all of a sudden threaten to cut him off and he can't advertise anymore, it's like, okay, no problem. Uh, and then you basically lose that client for life. So it's yeah. it's such a, a fine, like just gentle dance that you need to do between, like, you know. I've delivered my service, what I promised to deliver you, you know, pay me on time, please. Cause I've also got people to pay and I've got, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I've, I've got, I've got a business to run and it's, it, it is very difficult. It, yeah. It's super, super difficult. Yeah. How have you maneuvered with, you know, a lot of the media going online? Uh, we were very fortunate that, uh, in the, w- with the companies that we were competing with at the time, uh, a lot of them have been around for more than a hundred years. Uh, so they had a lot of people, that had older thinking that didn't necessarily adopt to the new way media is being done globally. Um, they weren't able to pivot as quickly. And I understand that if you've got a company with 3,000 employees to put a big digital strategy together in a short space of time when you've got people that you know are only focused on numbers in terms of actual single copy sales of print magazines and print ads and, and all the rest, that's been their bread and butter for so many years that they of the beliefs like well a couple of years ago there was a dip then it came back so this this whole internet thing is going to blow over and then you people will see 
Uh, and that was the, you know, the the thinking with a lot of those companies. Uh, you know, we were a relatively small company, small team, and we were able to pivot into the the, the digital side relatively quickly and easily. Uh, and that really, really helped us uh, to to just, you know, explode with growth on a whole other level. Okay. So it just really took off. Yeah. It, you, would you say that that part of your business, is it? 50% print, 50% digital, or is the digital growing and print declining? It, uh, it It's it's nowhere near 50-50 anymore. There, there was a stage where, like right in the beginning, uh, sustainably for a few years, it was sort of 70% uh, on, on print and physical copies and 30% online. And it was for a number of years. Uh, we got closer to 50-50, uh, I'd say, three or four years ago. And specifically COVID just accelerated that uh, to the point where I'd say about 90% of our revenue is from online now and and you know 10% of it is, is from print. Do you find that easier to manage the digital side as opposed to print? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, short answer, yes. Uh, it's, you know, for, for, for our business, our biggest expense is our print bill. Uh, you know, if you're producing 40, 50 magazines, and you're doing you know ten thousand to fifty thousand copies per magazine. You're looking at a couple of million just in print bills. Um, when you look at single copy sales that you get from a magazine, it's it's almost nothing. If your cover price is four dollars, and you work with a distributor, which you have to, otherwise you would have to buy four thousand trucks uh, and and drivers and all the rest. It, it's an absolute nightmare to try and 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 work something like that out. Um, your four dollar print cost, two dollars goes to the, the, the distributor. Um, to cover their end, and you, the two dollars that you've got left, a half of that goes to the shop that's stocking or selling your magazine or your newsstand. So from your two dollars, you maybe end up with a dollar less taxes and all the rest. You maybe end up with eighty cents of that actual cover price. Uh, so you need volume for, for for that to make sense. Yep. Um, as soon as the print completely goes away, I, I think a lot of media owners will be very happy because that massive printable expense that you have, not to, you know, paper also goes up every single year. Uh, ink goes up exceptionally every single year. So your your biggest expense gets more and more. Your revenue from it goes less and less and less. Uh, so, you know, for, for print to go away, we'd be pretty happy. Yeah. <laughs> and the short answer, wouldn't mind it. Wouldn't mind it. <laughs> what are some of the favorite magazines that you produce? I think it's uh, all things that have to do with things I was passionate about. Um, I was very fortunate to, uh, you know, the very first magazine I started was Fighters Only. And, you know, I've been training in martial arts for 20 odd years. It's a sport I'm incredibly passionate about. And I was able to start my own company, uh, sort of, you know, figuring things out and falling all over the place, trying to just literally get the very first edition out. Um, It's obviously progress from there but every single title that we publish is, is something that i've got a personal interest in uh, i remember we were probably like four or five years in and i i saw uh, media 24 which was the biggest company at that stage uh, published top gear magazine uh, it went out it went out for tender and we tried to bid on it uh, as a teeny tiny media company at the, at the time it was like no sorry like <laughs> don't even bother uh when i spoke to the bbc in the uk it's like you know it's very great that you guys have this this personal interest and all the rest but uh, you know we need a conglomerate type business to to get this brand where we need it to be. Um, six or seven years later, Media Twenty Four decided to shut the title down because it wasn't doing the sort of numbers they were happy with. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sort of numbers it was doing at the time, numbers I was very happy with. Uh, so 
you know fund the, the the BBC up and the person working in uh in in their licensing department was funny enough the same guy and I you know we had a quick conversation and, and a couple of months later I'm publishing Top Gear magazine and you know it's the, the motoring magazines the Fashion stuff is cool. The you know the the lifestyle stuff is cool. Um, but for me, the, it's 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 always going to be anything fitness focused, anything uh, to do with cars. Uh, that you know that that's where the passion is. That's where I still get excited when we feature a certain athlete or there's an interview to be done. Um, my editor for Men's Fitness came to me one day. It's like, oh, we you know we're setting up this whole thing with Dwayne Johnson. It's like what? <laughs> like yeah, we've got like 45 minutes with him uh, on, on sometimes. Like okay, I'll do it. It's like, what do you mean you'll do it? <laughs> it's like, well, I'll I'll do it. I'll I'll do the interview with him. Um, and man, oh man, was I blown away. Yeah. Uh, one of the, you know, everyone says he's such a nice guy and he's such a humble guy. And and to a point, you'd think it's it's it has to be a front to an extent because most people that have reached that level of a success, um, apart from them being insanely busy, uh, you know, they there is some perceived arrogance or like they would be very difficult to work with. And we work with very, very difficult people over mm-hmm. the years as well. He was the nicest, friendliest guy. Um, he had a hard out after 45 minutes and we ended up talking for close to two hours on the phone. Wow. Uh, yeah. So it's, it, it's stuff like that, that still, you know, it, it excites you about, about what you do is we get to meet really cool people and, yeah. uh, and, and, and talk to really cool people and, and do really cool things and, you know, drive nice cars. That's what's so cool about it. That's what, you know, I really like about doing this. And it's not, you know, with the real estate gig, um, that puts money on the table. Yeah. This is this is a good little passion project because I like to. I like to talk. Yeah. I like to hear people's stories. Yeah, absolutely. And it's amazing when you sit down and you start to talk to somebody and you find out where they came from and what they did and where they are now. It blows you away sometimes. Absolutely. And people, like you said, there's people that, you know, are very arrogant or difficult, but most people are very humble. They're very humble and they're just nice to sit down and, and talk to. Yeah. They're great. Um, are you still doing... So when you started the the Mixed Martial Arts magazine, were you competing at the time? I thought, did I, thought, I thought I was. Okay. <laughs> uh, so I essentially started training. My dad was was very big on us doing some sort of martial art growing up. Uh, my brother did karate for you know many many years, and I think by the time I was five or six, I was also I was doing karate. Um, carried on training with that. Then I my, my big passion came with kickboxing. The first time I, I, I watched a kickboxing bout, I was like, whoa, this is, you know, karate is great for, you know, young kids to learn. But it, effectively in the street, um, it, it, you're not going to be able to defend yourself properly against someone that, you know, is, is coming to cause actual damage or actual harm to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and th- that's, you know, when I, when I saw what was able to do with the human body when i saw like a guy a high level kickboxer the way they were just flowing and moving and the way they were using their their arms and legs as weapons to uh, you know create distance to protect themselves or you know to you know floor their opponent uh fell in love with that uh i, I trained uh in in that for, for the longest time um competed all over the world uh with that one or uh, two junior world titles and then the natural progression, like with everyone else, uh, was to go into MMA. Um, and I, I trained MMA probably for about 10 or so years. Uh, I had one fight, mm-hmm. uh, won it. So oh, retired undefeated. There you go. Retired yeah. undefeated. I'll claim it. Um, 
but it's uh, you know at, at that stage it was I was running a company I was working at like a you know long hours during the day uh, it was right on the uh, not not on the brink is when the UFC started like 20 25 years ago but from when the sport became mainstream mm-hmm. and it became more acceptable to put on shows and events and all the rest so maybe going back um, 10 years uh, people were still training in the morning full day of work training in the afternoon and as soon as people started doing it as a professional sport, like putting in three sessions a day and you've got sports psychologists and, and dietitians and all the rest that are helping you, the level of the progression with these other guys that were doing it full time, you, you could really tell and you could tell quickly. There'd be like two or three months and you'd spar with a guy that you were sparring with and you're like, whoa, this is something different. Like yeah. something has happened to this person. Uh, and that's when I realized like I'm just going to train for fun now because yeah. actually competing um, – and you can get hurt. It, yeah. You know, it's, it's a contact sport. If you're not that serious about it, like if that's not your path and that's not your your vision and your dream for yourself, um, just train for fun. Don't yeah. don't train to try and compete with the, you know guys that are laser focused. Like this is what they want to do. They want to be assassins in there, yeah. um, and you, you'll you'll definitely end up getting hurt. Yeah, and it was when the UFC was starting up and the mixed martial arts was starting up. It was pretty grueling. I mean, Ooh. it was. It has changed from when it began to where it is now. And you read back and, you know, some of the fights before, and it was just beat down chaos. It was just chaos. Like, destroying you. They still destroy each other, but it was different back. Well, there are rules now. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I remember watching an old VHS tape, um, and that's sort of most people, that was the only way to find the UFC. Like someone would tell us like, hey, there's this crazy thing happening in this cage. And, you know, you've got this one guy that weighs 400 pounds fighting a guy weighing 160 pounds. Like, how badly did the small guy lose? Like, no, he won. It's like, how is that possible? Uh, and you watch those first few UFCs, like no gloves. Strikes to the back of the head, strikes yeah. to the groin. It's like, this is like, I'm surprised no one died in that era. Yeah. And no one did for many, many years. There's never been a death in MMA. Yeah. Uh, it, it's always been, as far as, as as fight combat sports go, it's always been the safest sport uh, out there. And luckily now we have rules, yeah. <laughs> which which makes it even safer. But it's, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was just chaos back then. Yeah. Are you, are you still training kickboxing now or what are you doing now? I'm old and useless now. Yeah, like I'm, I'm just I'm just hitting pads every once in a while. Um, a, a friend of mine, uh, Christopher Hoff, that lives in, in South Park, he's uh, he calls it the Hoffnasium. Uh, uh-huh. He's got this big gym that he built in his house. Also has a, has a bunch of cars in a garage right across the road from it. Um, he's got this whole mat, and they uh, you know train jujitsu and all the rest. And they've got Kenny Florian, ex UFC guy that lives in Charlotte now. He okay. trains there on Sundays. They do like a little open mat thing. So. Um, you know, we'll, we'll go and roll every once in a while or hit pads every once in a while, but, uh, I, I'm too brittle now to, <laughs> to carry on doing those, uh, those sorts of things. I know I was always, I have been, you know, saying, I keep saying I want to do it, but I want to start training in jujitsu and I, I just think it would be good to know and, and try to get my boy to come in, uh, and train with me. And oh yeah. It's just good to know. And, and it's, I feel like it's something that I can do still, cause I'm not the biggest guy, you know? And when you look at that and you, the ability to use your leverage and, and be able to kind of defend yourself against somebody bigger, I thought that was kind of the, the best route to, to go. I firmly, firmly believe all kids at sort of eight or nine, when they really understand movement, 
uh, should train jiu-jitsu. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, you know, martial arts, obviously I'm a, I'm a big believer in it. And I think, you know, all kids should do some form of, of, of combat sport training somewhere along the way. Uh, jiu-jitsu, I think, is, is so super important. Mm-hmm. Um, there is obviously the self-defense side of it that is vital and it could literally save your life. But it's just learning and figuring out how the body actually works and how you can manipulate joints and how you can, you know, just the position changes and all the rest it's uh you know apart from it being a really good workout uh it's it's mentally it is uh you know you have to be super super tough to just roll and roll and roll and roll and roll yeah. and uh you know especially um you know guys that get to a level where they want to start competing um the jiu-jitsu level across the world is also just it's gone up so much uh, that it's uh, you know you have to put the work in if you if you want to walk away with the, with a gold medal at one of these competitions now. Yeah, do you think it's just because people are they're just starting their own gyms, uh, which uh, brings more people in and into the sport? Or it, it's that's definitely part of it. Uh, and I, and I think as the UFC still grows with popularity, people um, it will will come and, and try it out. You know, a lot of people what we saw with our gym was. They'll come and they'll join the, the the training, and there will be different classes for the stand up side, for the the wrestling side, and the jujitsu side. And a lot of people don't know what they would actually like or what they are willing to go through on a daily basis. Uh, as soon as you get cracked with the right hand, um, you know, for a lot of people, that's you know they've never been in, in a physical altercation like that in their life, and now you get hit and it's, it sucks. No one, it's not it's not nice. Yeah. But some people get hit and they're like, all right. I'm gonna get you now, and other people go like, "Oh, this is why, why am I doing this? Yeah. This is this is not necessary at all. Like I'm 32 years old. I, you know, I've got a wife and kids. Like I, I don't need to do this with my yeah. life. Um, but for a lot of those people, they find jujitsu because you don't have that 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 physical contact. Yeah. Um, but you still get like a great workout, and you still learn, uh, you know, effective self uh, defense uh, from that. And it's uh, it's obviously like with with most you know sort of uh, sports it, it's going to be hard on the body and joints and all the rest uh, mm-hmm. so you have to do it you know safely or relatively safely at least with you know trainers that know what they're doing um but that's uh, for a lot of people that just don't like to the the physical impact and they really enjoy jiu-jitsu because it's more freely sort of just you know rolling and flowing and and, and learning yeah now where are you training nowadays just uh, lifting are you are you lifting because that's we met at crossfit yeah and and you were a games athlete <laughs> i'm gonna not gonna not throw that out there what year was that the, the very very first year was it crazy <laughs> the very very first year um i mean it was just in africa uh yeah. it was so we and for for us crossfit was also just completely by accident because my mma coach at the time said this specific way of working out is optimal for explosiveness for strength and all the rest so we didn't do crossfit the way crossfit is now as 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 a like a serious sport we you literally you train and compete in that one specific thing we just used it because if we did 30 minutes of the crossfit stuff before we started training and sparring that is what's going to make you fitter that's what's going to make you stronger and that's what's going to make you move better Uh um and then one small CrossFit uh, CrossFit gym opened in South Africa, and you know we were a bunch of animals that have been training with this this sort of methodology for two or three years, and they put on the Africa Games, and um, my coach won. Um, I came uh, 
my, my coach won, my assistant coach came second and I came third. Yeah. Uh, and, and the guy that was hosting the whole thing, the Africa Games, back uh-huh. then was, uh, you know, I think he came like fifth or something and that's all they were doing uh, was cross it. But it was, I mean, it, it doesn't count. Yeah. <laughs> it, it definitely doesn't count. It's I It was literally the very, very first year. Yeah. <laughs> now, what are, you, what are you doing now? Are you Are you lifting still or are you CrossFit? What are you... I'm just doing normal normal workout uh, by myself, pretty much just lifting and doing like like trying to incorporate some CrossFit stuff. Yeah, um, I've been struggling with uh, with a lower back issue for the last two or three years, and we're doing a lot of PT at the moment mm-hmm. uh, with that. So sort of trying to just train around injuries. Those uh, lower backs suck. Yeah, yeah. God, they get you. I I got it uh, the last time I really did it. Not- it was uh, doing something silly, like ninety-five pound cleans or something, and I and I stepped forward, done. I mean, I was out for probably four months, and just lower backs. Yeah, it's crazy. So I was talking to uh, to to my doctor about it, and we were trying to pinpoint where it actually happened. And I mean, when you're training and working out. To, to to that extent like you, you always saw so you don't you can't really pinpoint to one specific thing that happened half the time uh, so I, I haven't been able to pinpoint that but I, I I definitely remember one day getting ready for work I was busy tying my shoes and I sneezed while I was tying my shoes and I literally fell down on the ground and I, I thought this that's where I'm gonna die no one's yeah. gonna find it. I couldn't move I was like I'm gonna die here I'm gonna just I'm gonna die of hunger or of, of <laughs> thirst and no one's gonna find me this this is it I'm finished yeah. um and since then, it's 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 been a struggle. So that's been, we've just been in a lot of a lot of a lot of PT. Uh, you know, the last thing you ever want is is for your back to be cut open. Yeah. So we we're literally trying to work around that as, as safely as we can before before, before we need sort of medical that. intervention to that extent. Oh, so I love I love gadgets. I love looking at pictures. My gadgets are guitars. I love the guitar. But you're you're into the watches too. Like, it's, it's another very specific it disease. It's a very specific disease, and it's funny when you find people that have that, and you're like, "Well, you know, how many watches do you have?" And they're like, "Do you really want me to answer that question?" <laughs> but I mean, I've got three, and my wife probably thinks that's too much. But yeah. How how'd you get into that? Was it just another thing? Because they're pretty. Yes. They're pretty. It 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 started off as because they are pretty. Yeah. Uh, and then when you actually delve into the art of watchmaking and you understand what goes into it, it you know, it's it's something that's it's no bigger than some most of them sort of, let's call it 40 millimeters. So the movement inside is maybe 38 millimeters in circumference. And it, to have thousands of components in something that small, uh, it's, it's mind-blowing. It's, you know, those guys to me are, are complete artists. When you see how they take a watch apart, put it back together again uh, with all those components. And they do it with just such ease and just patience. Um, I was very fortunate with uh, the one uh, magazine that we published. I was invited to Rolex's actual workshop um, and to see guys in lab coats, in white lab coats, sitting at everyone sitting at their little desk, uh, you know, taking these watches apart and putting them back together again for, you know, whether they're servicing the watches or whatever it is. Uh, just in complete awe, what these people are able to do. Uh, you know, it's uh, I, I I struggle to focus and concentrate when I'm building Lego with my son. Like it, <laughs> it becomes a bit too complex, even though you have an entire instruction manual yeah. in front of you. And these guys are taking things that look microscopic apart with just a, a little 
a magnifier on, on one eye and it's like just only a, the times five magnification is all they need and they work with these small tools uh, putting these things together. And that's where, as soon as I realized what actually went into it, um, it, it just became more and more obsessed with the, the movements and the materials they use and, and you know the ability for them to create a watch that has no battery and that works on mechanical movement with uh, you know some of these these crazy watches that have 30-day power reserves um, just by moving around. It's like, yeah. how do you do that? <laughs> it is funny that you, you talk about how – you liked the watch in the beginning because it was pretty, and now you just do you get involved like that with cars too? No, no, no. I cannot cannot work on a car. Okay, for the life of me, um, I've I've I'm just not technically minded like that. Uh, I've I've got a good friend that uh, that races, and and uh, he sent a, a, a photo to our group the other day. Uh, he's 17 year old, is changing the oil in his own car, and they spent like a father son day together changing oil in the car. I was like, I can't do that. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, I, I can I can drive them, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, it's uh, I have no idea how to how to work on a car. Work on had, uh, no idea whatsoever. We I was I was pretty impressed with my son. He he bought this. Um, he his first car was a um, a sixty seven um, uh, Ford Mustang. Yeah. And those are you open it up and you think it, you know these are going to be pretty easy to work on. Yeah. Not really. I mean they're old is the problem they're old yeah the engine is open and whatever but it's old wirings it's old parts and whatever so he got rid of that and then he purchased a toyota 86 it's 2017 and it's a little two-door yeah a little sporty car super cool but um he was turning it was raining and he was going into one of the roundabouts and he turned and the car decided to go straight because he was going too fast Uh and he hit the curb boom so he messed up his wheel. He bent the crap out of the lower control arm. Um, and then, but we didn't know it on the rack and pinion. Um, he he took it and he took the, the tire off. He ordered the part. Him and I put the lower control arm back on. Um, went and had it realigned. Brought it back home. He's like, ah, it's just not turning right. Then he goes, I turned into a parking lot and I heard a pop. And he's like, dad, but now... It's turning really good. I was like, and one of our friends, he was like, yeah, yeah that's not right. <laughs> he, needs, he needs to go figure it out. So he did. He, he took it to the Toyota dealership. They put it up and they were like, you need a new rack. And uh, he bought it. And then last Sunday, him and I put it up. We took it all apart, took the old rack off. And sure enough, man, it was snapped. The housing was snapped in two. And so we got rid of that, put it all back up, did it, took it, had it uh, realigned, boom, good to go. So, so whatever speed he tells you he was going at, it was probably going like Double. 15, 20 more. Yes. <laughs> He's like, I don't know what happened. It was slick. I, I tried it because they're all into the YouTube. They love the YouTube. Yeah. So now it's it's drifting. And, and man, we need to go to a drifting track and we need to do this and do that. And, you know, whatever. I, I think it's I think it's cool. But... I thought it was great that he wanted to take the initiative to go and do that. Absolutely. That's you amazing. Know? One, because I think he he wanted to do it. And two, he's cheap. And he's like, I don't want to pay anybody. To yeah. He's like, I saved 800 bucks. They wanted to charge me 800 bucks labor to put this part in. But no, it, it's cool when you when you get down in there and, and do it. And yeah. I was, I'm like, 
halfway mechanically inclined. You know, I'm not tearing a, a motor apart or anything like that. Yeah. But I can kind of move my way around. But it's it's fun. Your kids are are growing up. They're still they're babies, but they're they're growing. It's it's crazy. It goes so quickly. Like my my daughter's turning two in a couple of weeks from now, and it, it feels like she was literally born last mm-hmm. week. It's 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 crazy, man. Yeah, I remember I saw the story that you posted. And you on the couch, and they're all over on top of you and stuff, and and those are fun times. Yeah, it, because you're right; they do go by so fast. Yeah, I mean, Robert just graduated from high school, and uh, he's heading off to college after the holidays. And then my daughter, she just finished up her second year. Boom, boom, fast. It's it's crazy. Fast. It is absolutely. It's it it scares the living daylights out of me. Yeah, is just the rate at which they grow up, and then just for them to be able to find their own path in life, and you know, yeah. you become obsolete somewhere along the way. I know. Uh, it, it was it was such a funny thing. Uh, a, a good friend of mine that does all the track days and things with us, uber insanely successful guy. Uh, he's he's built multiple multiple companies that he's exited with. You know, he's. Uh, he, he he's probably got the the biggest house in the whole of uh, of, of North Carolina, um, but to him, or just to some kid, he's still just dad. Yeah. Uh, and and I remember we went to the track um, probably four or five months ago, and, and it's like, oh, his son's calling um, about uh, you know he, he finally he's finally figured out what he wants to do with his life. It's like just just excuse me for a second, I'm going to take his call. Uh, so he chats and he comes back and he says, man, these kids. It's like what what now? It's like. He spoke to me because he was uncertain about one or two things, and then I was like, "Oh, I know exactly what he's trying to do, and like, and I, I can really help him with this. Like, this is my area of expertise. You know, yeah. I've built big businesses around this." And it's like, "Okay, what do I do here?" And his dad explained to him, "It's like, and what do I do here?" So dad explained to him, "It's like, okay, I've got it now." It's like, "No, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> you don't. Just I'm here. Let me help." It's like, "No, dad, dad, I've got it. I've got it." It's like, "All right. Yeah, I'll speak to you in a week or two. And it's that it scares me, man. I know. Like right now, at, at like four years and, and and nine years and two years old, they rely on you for everything essentially. Yeah. Um, and when they get to a point where like, oh, I don't know, you do. I'll I'll go and figure this out by myself. Like I know you have to let go and let them like find their own path, but it's I know it's it's, that, it's, it's that scary. Fifty scary. Like uh, my daughter, you know, I see her at at school and and doing her thing and she's living up there and she's working and it, but now she starts to call a little bit more and ask for advice a little bit more and i'm like okay this is really cool this is working my son you know he's right now he knows he knows everything but i get you get worried like how's he gonna be in college you know is he gonna be successful there is he gonna do his thing covid this covid last year was hard on on kids and he was going through um high school and he had a a pretty good path of where he wanted to go and the senior year was pretty much all online and could you imagine if you were a senior in high school and you stayed home and class was online horrendous oh and he made it through and it was good and he graduated with good good grades but i think it knocked him off his path a little bit of what he, you know, wanted to do and what his passion mm. was. I think he's a little bit lost right now. But they'll make it through. It, they have to find their way. They'll Apparently their you can't, you, you can only like steer them as much and the rest they, they supposedly have to do their own thing. It's, uh, it's scary, man. <laughs> yes. So what do you got coming up? Are you, um, what's on the horizon for you? 
Uh, uh, there's a couple of things. Um, there's there's one really exciting thing, which I'll be happy to come back on and explain yeah. it, but there's NDA sign at the moment that I can't divulge okay. too much, but there's, uh, there's something really exciting that we're going to be doing uh, locally in Charlotte. Oh, good. Um, yeah, it's, uh, there's, there's some, some, some really cool stuff to look forward to. Good, good. I like it. Your wife is doing good. Yeah, yeah, good. yeah. She's uh, she's she's killing it at, at uh, you know at the you know the little mom and pop shop. Uh, yeah, Price Waterhouse Coopers. Yeah, just a little, uh, one. <laughs> just a little place. Uh, she's uh, she, she's she's doing so well, and and uh, a big part of it is uh, the level of just fraud that we had in South Africa from financial institutions and and uh, you know money laundering and and and. She comes to America where the banking system is nowhere near as complex as what it is in a country where you have to deal with that level of just criminality all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, like she's a rock star for them over yeah. here because she's you know she knows a lot about that specific uh, about that specific field. So um, you know the guys you are dealing with stuff that she was dealing with like four or five years ago. She's like, uh, like yeah, it's, it. it's old stuff. <laughs> seen it before. Yeah, so she's killing it, man. She's doing she's doing real good. That's good. So I got a question. Um, now, when you were in South Africa, you were coming up, you started working. The guy asked for your resume. Did you finish university? Did you? No. 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 And you did pretty good without. Um, yeah, I think it's there's, there's probably an easier path is to, yep. to, uh, to do that. I mean, right now, looking back, I'm probably educating myself more now uh, than I could have done in any classroom. And I, I think that's that's probably the important thing. You know, a lot of people are looking at this argument is, do I start my own business or do I go to university for the next three or four years and have an insane amount of debt to pay off that you can never get rid of? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's a different path for different people. Um, you know, you can still be successful even if you don't go the traditional route, but you have to educate yourself. You, you need to um learn there, there's so many things that i've learned on the job because you know i was essentially forced into doing it i always knew i was going to start my own company uh, but i was doing so well at that point in time i was like what's the rush and what's the point like i'm living a good life i'm earning a very good salary um, but i was sort of forced to just i have to take that step now because mm-hmm. um, i need to be out of this toxic situation that i'm in and i learned more in my first year of business than i think any mba could ever teach you when you're writing a thesis and, and, and listening to lectures. I learned more in my first year of business um, yeah. than I ever could from any book or, or any TED talk or anything else. But I, I just think it, it's so important as you try and grow and try and progress, uh, whether it's you know personally or, or in a professional way, to educate yourself. Uh, you know, markets are constantly changing; things are constantly changing. I think the the COVID uh, fiasco of the last uh, what's it, eighteen months now, sixteen months now. Mm-hmm. Um, has shown a lot of companies how vulnerable they actually are and how much they are relying on a specific revenue stream and all of a sudden you go that revenue stream is not cut off because you know people are not allowed to come into your into your place of business anymore it's like what do you do how yeah. do you pivot what uh, what's the next steps to take and i think uh, the the more, the successful businesses are, are going to be the ones that'll have multiple sources of revenue multiple you know streams uh, and and the ability in a, in a in a very quick adapting market for them to be able to change mm-hmm. and 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 basically still reach their customers with its uh, with different SKUs or whatever it is that they do. Yeah, and you haven't had a problem, you know, running your businesses from here. <laughs> Define problem. Yeah, uh, it's 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 been really challenging. Um, yeah. I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine that moved to uh, to the US uh, about. 10 years uh, prior to when we looked at the move 
and I asked him, like, you know, what is what is the thing you wish you did uh, before you moved? And he said, I wish I sold my business by the, when I left. Um, and, you know, I, I still enjoy what I do, but I'm also in the same boat. It's like it would have been so much easier to exit then than, you know, working with, uh, you know, an office in, in South Africa, an office in Australia. It's like everything is on different time zones. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Australia is so far ahead of us and in South Africa six hours ahead of us. So by the time I wake up and, like, I try and get up super early in the mornings to – uh, you know, get a hold of, of things. Uh, if there's some big crisis that an executive of the company couldn't figure out, um, you know, I'm at like five in the morning, I'm six hours behind where, wherever this crisis was. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, sometimes you wake up and it's like, wake up, I can do emails for an hour or so and then go work out. And other times I'm like, okay, I'm going to be stuck here for a while. I go work out a bit later. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's, it's super challenging to, yeah. uh, to, to run a business and on, on multiple, uh, multiple continents like that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's huge. Um, and, and especially then to throw the COVID thing into it. Oh yeah. Just amazing. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, the, the places where we were very hard hit was, uh, was Australia and South Africa, just because of the severity of the lockdown. Um, when you have something like a men's health or a men's fitness magazine, your primary advertisers, watch brands, like it's consumer goods. Uh, it's, 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 it's electronics guys, it's the watch guys, it's, you know, people that sell alcohol. Uh, all those things, and when you've told those businesses that they cannot sell any of their goods, like a watch store is going to be closed for the next six months, why should they advertise if they can't sell a single one of their products? Yeah, there's no point. Um, so you know, advertising revenue went down. Uh, we were doing like 20% of the business we were doing literally the prior month, uh, and that lasted for the better part of six to seven months before people were allowed to gradually start reopening. Uh, it was uh, it was it was definitely a struggle. Yeah. Do you feel like it came back pretty quickly, or are you still? No, it was uh, December. Uh, December last year, uh, we had our best month in the history of of, of the company by by a lot, and okay. every month after that has been a record month. Uh, you know, this month we we're on track to do the same thing. Last month we did the same thing again. Uh, so that whole pent up demand uh, mm-hmm. because of the shutdown, it's it's a real thing. Like we've yeah. seen it across the board. Uh, it, it's been crazy. I know. I used to hate when everybody say, "Well, this is the new norm." It's not. It's not the new norm. Uh-uh. Like this is just a temporary thing. You're gonna get through it, and then people are gonna go back to doing what they want to do. Yeah, you you need to be around other human beings. Yep. Uh, you you can't be just isolated in your in your own little space for that amount of time. It's not. It's not healthy. It's not healthy. It's, it's definitely not healthy. It's uh, it's. You know, humans need other humans. That's I think that's the way we were designed. Yep. Um, you know, kids. Uh, I, I saw with my nine-year-old, and it's obviously nothing like your son. How frustrated he became having to be online because you know, it, and it's very difficult for a kid because their friends are everything to them. And it's like, oh, sorry, you can't see your friends for the next you know week or month or however long the you know that it, it lasted. It was it was devastating for them. Yeah. Um, and then just you know, you you all just cooped up and you can't go out and you can't go do things. It's uh, it it was it was a uh, a, a draining time for 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 a lot of people. Yeah. No, I'm glad to see things are starting to turn around and get back. Oh yeah. And some normalcy back into people's lives again. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Like um, Australia just went on lockdown because uh, one area had four cases. And I'm like, whoop, sorry, lock it all the way back really? down. Yeah. Because they've been heralded as the you know the gold standard for this whole yeah. COVID thing because they had so few cases. Yeah. Um, but they don't talk about the economic hardship that the country faced when they were so brutally locked down. And, and they are saying they will potentially open their borders in 2022. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. 
I mean, that's that's just absolutely crazy to me. I know. I know. We agree on that. <laughs> but, well, man, I appreciate it. Thank you very of course, much for coming on and chatting. This was great. And we will. We'll get together again. I want to hear what, uh, what your up-and-coming project is. That's going to be a lot of fun. Cool. All right, man. Have a good one. Awesome. Thanks, okay. bud. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Beyond Grit with your host, me, Robert Young. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review. Tell somebody about it. You can find this podcast on all major podcast platforms. And be sure to tune in every Wednesday for another exciting success story of somebody going beyond grit. Until then, take care.